cut to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? You're drowning and I throw you a life jacket. Would you grab it? Yes. Good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Hello and welcome back to Tyson Jacks. I'm Tim Allen, Mr. Matt Weber, back on the board. S&P Futures, uh, we are down 46 points. Uh, NASDAQ Futures down 205 is evidently the talks between Russia and Ukraine have collapsed overnight. And the uh, comment from the Ukraine guy is that the, what is it here this morning? Ukraine foreign mis- minister says Russian officials live in their own reality. So, what do you think so about So do we. Yeah, so do we. What do you think about that, Lou? Um... Every, everybody lives in their own reality. Some more than others. Some seem like it's totally separate from the rest of the world. Yeah, I would say I would say everybody's reality is just slightly different from everybody else's reality. Well, it's probably a good thing in a lot of ways. Now there, now there's a discussion. Let's let's start that discussion at six a.m. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the uh, uh, a little epistem- a little epistemological uh, uh, worldview or. or uh, you know, line of line of thought, which I really don't care to get into since it's only five a.m. here. Well, you know what they um, said on the trading floor. Did we ever figure out what that song was that that you guys were playing on Monday morning when when I was on? No, um, Matt, buried in your in the in the bowels of your machine over there, there's an intro to one of the old westerns on TV, and we could not figure out which one it was. That someone played, yes, and they couldn't tell you what it was. No, it was it was in the machine. One of the guys just played. Oh, Matt played it. The other Matt. Well, I'm, yeah, but he could see what he was playing, couldn't he? I. I, I it's I, all titled. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, then he played one of them. And it, was, it was Big Valley. It was one of those things. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. We, we have we have no idea what it was. It was completely. It took me completely by surprise because it was nothing like I'd ever heard before on our uh, our intros. So. Right, but I I had definitely heard it from from back in my you watching westerns. Well, I'll have to go back and listen to Monday and, and see if I can find it. Yeah, it was like right out, right out of the gate early on, so it confused the hell out of us, as we are always confused. But <laughs> the, it was, maybe it was maybe it was wagon train. It was it was one of those. Yeah, it was it was like one of those from way back because I remember it. I used to my grandmother would say, "What do we have to watch? We always got to watch wagon train, rawhide, and Dean Martin." That was our <laughs> put Dean on I, I, put Dean on the TV. I, okay, I know it wasn't rawhide, and uh, no, it wasn't I, rawhide. Uh, I know it wasn't Dean Martin. So I don't know. Anyway. I, you'll be you'll be getting me uh, waxing eloquent uh, shortly about twenty mule team borax. I remember that. I still, you know what? I still use that. Stuff works great. <laughs> I'm sure you don't do your own laundry, Lou, but I, I do. And you, I, I actually I actually do, but I don't. I haven't seen borax anywhere it's, for ages. You wing a little bit in there with the detergent, it makes everything better. You don't have to use as much detergent. Detergent works great. Scraped, scraped off the desert, well, out wherever, of Utah, <laughs> wherever. <laughs> but, but they did have the twenty mule team. Those guys pounding along. Oh, I know, I know. I remember the. I remember the commercials. Uh, remember the commercials well. Well, they're still on um, the box. I, I heard. I want to give you a, an interesting um, discussion point here that that I heard on a uh, an analysis of, of the Ukraine Russia fight that I thought was pretty good, and it it actually. 
I think offers a very good explanation for uh, why the Russians were acting the way they did initially and why we see them now reverting more to form in terms of uh, their uh, their tactical doctrine. So, according to this uh, source, who was a, uh, apparently very well tied into uh, to Ukraine, the Russians had planned to es- essentially decapitate the uh, Ukrainian government, kill, capture Kerensky, kill, capture senior Ukrainian officials, execute them at the same time they launched the invasion. And and in a lightning move, while the Ukrainian government was confused and couldn't figure out how to respond, they would quickly move to seize the airport of Kiev and a couple of other strategic places with uh, with airborne forces and... Um, and, and then basically execute what's referred to as a coup de main, uh, you know, a decapitation attack where you've occupied the uh, the leadership of the government and, and they would say, here are the people that are now the new Ukrainian leaders um, and we've got we've got your airports, we've, we've got the key buildings here in, in Kiev, everybody sit down, shut up and go home. Unfortunately, the team that they brought in to do the assassination was detected or had been detected uh, almost immediately by the Ukrainians. Those people were all killed. Uh, the airborne landing operations at the airports were intercepted and repulsed by uh, by Kiev uh, forces. And suddenly what was supposed to be a lightning-fast operation that was only going to last a day or two, maybe maybe three suddenly is now ground, you know, as it grinds to a halt, and, and now the Russians have to have to slug it out. That explains why they were using, you know, essentially reserve units and reserve components with old equipment and a bunch of other things associated with it that you and I had commented on that didn't really look like a, a super effective invasion force because it was never really designed to be a monster invasion force. It was designed to back up this decapitation attack that failed. It was almost going to be and like a diversion. Well, they were worried about those guys. These guys snuck in and would take the place over. Well, the, the idea was that you were going to confront the Ukrainian military, which, which would be leaderless, for at least initially. You were going to confront them with this invasion that was moving quickly um, you know, towards the you know the capital, and you know people would look around and say, "Okay, great. How do we organize our defenses?" And there's nobody, there's nobody giving the orders. There's the you you confront you, you confront your population with, "Okay, we got your leadership. You know, now here's our leadership. Who? What do you got? You know, and 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 it it. I mean, it would seem to me to be a recipe for some kind of uncoordinated guerrilla campaign that that the Ukrainians would then have to execute over a, a long period of time, but much less well-organized, much less costly in terms of equipment and all that. And again, it explains why the logistics tail of this invasion force was so badly prepped. They, they never anticipated or didn't want to anticipate a... Uh, a, a lengthy fight. So they essentially so, um, read, read read the book, 
the dogs of war, and we're going to try and replicate it in the modern era. Something, something comparable to that, yes. And and I've read that book too, and it, it it makes it makes perfect sense now, looking in retrospect, to say, okay, well, that's what they expected to execute. What what doesn't make sense is somebody at, at the you know back at Moscow saying, what happens if this doesn't work? How you know are we are we set up to fight the fight that we're going to have to we're going to have to fight if if we can't get our our well, was executed completely and, and apparently the answer was no. Well, so they, now they, we see uh, the Russians doing what they did in Syria, in Chechnya, in a few other places. They come in, they encircle, they'll, they'll encircle these major towns, and again grinding down grinding down the Ukrainian resistance with just sheer mass, they will encircle these cities, they will offer uh, humanitarian corridors, which they then promptly bomb, to, uh, to, to, to give the picture of people getting out, um, force those evacuations, or get, you know, get, arrange those evacuations so that the Ukrainians have to deal with that problem, and as I said, bomb the corridors, and then at some point declare that ever since okay, since we offered these humanitarian corridors and we gave people the chance to get out, uh, and and you know they they presumably all the people who wanted to get out are out. Everybody inside the corridor or inside the encirclement now is a fighter, and we are going to reduce the buildings and the, and reduce the city to uh, to rubble. Uh, with the assumption that everybody inside is a combatant. All right, two questions, and I know you, you lecture me by not going at this logically. Um, just because you have, why, why not? If if the uh, the thing failed as miserably as it appears that it did, the the the, the neat slicing coup, uh, why are you obligated to invade? Why didn't you say those are mercenaries? Had nothing to do with us. Because you still want the end of Ukraine. All right. Well. If you if you totally bust the place up and nobody plants any wheat, which is the, the thing they have, and the cities are all wrecked, who the hell is going to going to pay the money to put them back together? Russia doesn't have it. What's the point of getting a burned out place? Uh, well, that that raises you know that that was the mentality or the thought process on the initial plan, which would have been reasonably bloodless, with a lack of of utter destruction on. Uh, you know, on on the cities, and would present Russia with something of a prize. You know, a functioning a functioning country. Uh, they've said, okay. I think they've basically said, okay. Well, we're not going to get a functioning country, so so we'll we'll take it down. We'll take it down to uh, you know a basic level of existence. We will we will ruin its industry. We'll ruin its uh, its power plants. We'll ruin its. Its uh, ability to function as a as a nation, and gradually take take the place over. Did you happen? And, and only... you, you remember? You remember? I, early, very early on in this, I said, you know, it, it's a terrible thing to say, but the, the best the best result, perhaps from a foreign policy perspective, for us is to have the Russians sitting in there for ten years, trying to trying to take this place over as as the West continues to feed. Weapons into the into the Ukrainians so that they can blow the you know blow the heck out of Russian forces. It's not going to happen because I don't think the Russian economy can handle ten years of the pressure that we're putting on it. 
Well, so the next we, uh, question is how do you, you know if you're the Russians, you say, look, we got to speed this up because because we know the attention span in the West is is about three seconds. Oh, and by the way, the West is playing into our hands here because they're not doing anything to help their their energy production. So so they're going to get screwed, and and I, you know, Putin is saying, I'm betting that the attention span of the Russian people on this war is going to be longer than the attention span or the pain tolerance of Western societies as gas goes to eight, nine, ten dollars a gallon, and and that's, I, I mean. The incompetence is a great. There's a great uh, piece out that talks about the rise of, of, of sort of a great power axis and how the West has really played into the hands of Russia and has been for some t- has been for the last you know two years. Um, the fact that uh, we we haven't worked on energy independence. We had energy independence. We've now we never did. By the way, we never did. But go ahead. Well, we were exporting. We were exporting oil. We were, we were exporting, but we were, we were also importing. Our net. We were, but, but but we were a net. We were a net exporter. We we were. We okay. always used more than we produced. Um, I'll was, disagree with that. It was getting close. But, but it, we never we never went over the top. But but in any event, we were much weaker. We're, we're in a much worse position now. Much worse position now. Than we were two years ago to deal with this kind of thing. So, so Putin is Putin is saying, okay, I've got Western sanctions, and and that's creating a certain amount of pain for my people. But I'm going to inflict pain on the West, and the Russian people are tough, and they're used to miserable a miserable life, and and so I can I can live with them having a miserable life for X amount of time. In the meantime. I can make the West have a miserable life. They're not used to it. They're not tough. They're decadent, and and they will they will fold. In the meantime, he has to speed up his military operation to try to reduce the amount of the amount of time that the West can focus on what's happening in Ukraine. And so the next question is, what does he do? Does he move to interdict the uh, supplies coming in from from the western part of the country? I don't think he has the forces to do that. Um, so, so what's the next step? I think the next step is we go to a more effective weapon or more effective weaponry, uh, which you know in Syria was chemical weapons, and it wouldn't surprise me to see some kind of chemical chemical weapon deployment, especially to the extent that they're trying to to create a situation where you know very quickly the Ukrainian society falls apart. Well, the uh, there, there's. Uh, did you happen to listen to the Commerce Secretary yesterday? I don't listen to a single official out of this out of this government. Right, well, she, who I consider to be just inveterate liars. Well, they probably are, but uh, they. Uh, there, there, is there a guy amongst them? I don't think there is. Not that that makes any difference, but it just it is kind of weird. Uh, well, it's not. It's not weird if you understand that the principal qualification for senior leadership posts in this administration is gender or race, not not you know whatever, not not uh, merit. So I'm sure these people are, are 
you know qualified. I'm just saying you, you shouldn't be surprised at that because because merit is not the principal basis for their selection. Well, the uh, this lady was talking about how, and I, you know, I, that's why I was hoping you'd listen to it. it had bits and pieces it had to do with um, in terms of chips that the uh, since the original design of a lot of the chip machines even overseas were U.S. designs. We're going to require that the people who are making the chips not sell any to Russia. What are they talking about? How do, how do you you sold somebody a machine? How do you tell somebody who they can, who they can sell it to? I don't, I don't get. I, mean, I don't get how that, you retain any. A, I, I don't. I don't understand the. This this is the weird that that's a weird thing for her to say. What so something along those lines? Yeah, I mean, I mean, does, does she think that the Chinese who who have a, you know chip making capacity are are going to say, oh, well, we've got a court order from the United States that says we can't distribute this stuff. Yeah, we'll stop. This is a this is a worldview that again we talk about individuals, your own individual reality. This is a worldview that is probably works, you know, at Gestad and the ski resorts of Europe. By the way, Lou, we got to about uh, we got to about sixteen and a half a million barrels a day we were producing here, and our our use is about nineteen. So we got real close. Um, I. I all I could say is I know that we were exporting. I know we were, but we've always, time. we've always, we we had a. Uh, see, that, that's well, not you, but that, all those statistics are BS, though, because the the, the North Slope, we uh, we weren't supposed to export oil like forever, and, and Trump administration said we could. Is that, is that is that what happened? Something like that. But in fact, we always have. It was always like a trade. So sure. the, the North sure. Slope because, oil, because because oil is oil is fungible. So we were able to ship the North Slope oil to Japan because we don't have a whole hell of a lot of refineries on the West Coast, and essentially trade it for the Saudi or other oil going to Japan that we could bring into the Gulf, and we ended up saving an awful lot of fuel for tankers, and that was not considered an export; it was some sort of a trade. But we always have in in, in any in any event, we are much. It doesn't really matter. We're much. We are much worse off now. We're about a million de- barrels a day, a million and a half less than we were. Well, it, but it, it and, and uh, that is translating into a a huge hit for and the, people at the gas pumps. Uh, no, I'll, I'll I'll give you you, know, you give me the legal terms. I'll give you the economic terms. Oil is a very inelastic product in the short term. It's very elastic in the long term. And if yes. at, the, at the price of it, of uh, four and a half dollars a, a gallon, it's it's probably equilibrium because people will cut back. Demand is well, and, and 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 let's not let let's make sure we understand the impact. This is not a question of people will cut back. This is a question of a number of industries where they aren't going to be able to cut back. I'm not saying but, it's and, not urgent. I'm just saying that the the number, the supply and demand will match up. Eventually, eventually, it'll it'll be forced to at at a much higher price, and that high price doesn't just roll down for people putting gas in their tanks. It rolls down in the manufacture of millions of products. It rolls down in the in the delivery costs for for an economy that that has adjusted 
in the in the near term anyway to being able to move stuff you know by car and by truck so that we cut down on the individual shopping trips and 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 focus on on getting stuff delivered to our door right well they come in all of that starts to fall apart in a, in a, gas goes to a certain ex- uh, in up, a, up to a certain point. In a normal world, uh, which is it's like saying, uh, "Oh, by the way, that is the design of this administration." The, the Secretary of Transportation, who is an idiot, and I, I can't say that strong <laughs> enough. I know he comes from up a year up near South Bend, but but he's he's a he's totally unqualified for this job. His his position is that's great. High gas prices are great because it's going to force people to use mass transit. We don't have a mass. We don't have the mass transit system in this company in this country. No, we don't have mass transit. Accommodate that. No, we don't have it. And uh, we, matter of fact, where we've had it, a lot of places we've taken it out. <laughs> L.A. being one well, of them. It, it, exactly. Yeah. Because because we have it. It it, it hasn't it hasn't worked in, in an economic uh, basis. So now, the, the the people that are driving the ideological train for this administration are looking around saying. Hey, great! We can actually let gas prices, effectively force gas prices, <coughs> to to double, and then we'll be at that world that we've always envisioned. You know, ten dollar a gallon gas, which will drive people to get on buses, and that that's in a, in a sentence that that's their worldview. Uh, yeah, except and, you're burying the cities with the the diesel on the buses too. I mean. But I, I just wish, Lou. I mean, I. You well, know, I mean, their ultimate goal. Their ultimate goal is a plug-in. You know, you just go in home, plug your plug your one-seat personal little car in, and charge it overnight, and then and then trundle off to work in that. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know. Again, I don't know what world these folks are living in. It's it, the reality that they live in is not the reality that that most people I think face every day getting up. And, and there's, this, there's no resemblance. This oil shock is going to hurt, and it's going to hurt a lot. It bears no resemblance to, to most people's reality, Lou. I mean, you and I have always agreed on that. But just real quick, we got like one minute before break, or two minutes. What the the economic realities of it is, and I, and I, I, I try and uh, I don't want to sound like a, a lecture on radio in the morning, but um, I always ask you what the what the legal definitions are and the legal things, so I try and get them straight in my mind because. There are laws, and I should know them from talking about them. Your 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 demand for oil is a curve. Okay, it's not it's not when people say the the demand uh, yesterday was eighteen million barrels. What that tells you is at a certain price, it's eighteen million barrels. If you raise the price up thirty percent, the the demand on that curve is going to be sixteen five. Sixteen eight. Well, it will eventually it will eventually get there. That's right. But I mean the, the demand. We're saying the difference is elastic in the short term. Well, my my point is is that there's a big difference. The term that you that they refer to in the on TV all day long is the demand. The demand is a curve. The demand is not the same as the quantity demanded. The quantity demanded is a point anywhere on the curve. Right. So at at five dollars a gallon, the the quantity demanded is going to be a lot less than at three dollars a gallon. In the in. Ultimately, yes, but if, but if I'm driving to work, my demand is going to be this, and I have to fill. If I got a, if I got a thirty mile commute to work, and I have, I, and, and there's no there's no bus or rail line there, I'm, I'm not, I've got to have that. My demand remains the same, irrespective of this, the price. Lou, this may be a big shock to most people in the world, but it, 
it's not all about you. <laughs> I mean, the, you there's going to be. You oh, I, I beg to differ. <laughs> You're in the economic world. I'm in the political world. In the political world, it is all about me. Okay, but what my point is is that even no matter who you are, even if I have to drive to work 40 miles each way, the wife and I, I don't have a wife, but a girlfriend, instead of driving 20 miles at a restaurant on Saturday night, we might drive five or two or walk across the street to the place down the block. I mean, the, every person gets gets to move a little bit because we're talking about the total we're not well, no i see you see I, I i think i think you're wrong there i think we would continue based on need we would continue we might make the adjustment ultimately but in the short term we're going to continue to use gas at the same level that I, we they, do. See, that, that's, we're just going to cut back on something else that's where you would get all a's in in, in uh in in the, in the legal class and you'd get an f in my economics class because i i, I would say i would say that this is it, and, and in my in my world view, I would say, okay, that that may work over over the long term. But in the short term, if I'm a voter, I look at that and so that's why I say it's all about me. As an individual voter, it is all about me. If I have to cut back on my on my food, if I have to cut back on entertainment, right. if I have to cut back on uh, I, I, you know heating my house, right, you're, you're, at you're, a on, you're, temperature. On, you're on the top chessboard. I'm saying at every level. People make decisions a bazillion of a minute in this country. Right. Okay. Now, if, if I go out to Audrey's on Saturday, which I will, in our rotation of places we go for dinner is probably Little Joe's down in Mokina. And it's a solid 15-minute drive from Audrey's at, you know, it's 60 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour. I'm going to say that Saturday night, after I put 105 hours in the tank on Sunday, we're probably going to go to our favorite Thai restaurant in Orland that's a mile away from our house. Just because I don't really want to piss away five hours of gasoline to get to dinner. You know, it, it, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a one gallon a week difference. I'm still gonna come down to do stocks and jacks every morning. Still gonna do all the other stuff. But it may, maybe, uh, somebody, you know, if I was gonna go to South Bend for breakfast with Kevin on Sunday morning, Alternative, I might say. Alternatively, center. you're gonna drive to Joaquina, but you're gonna order the, you're gonna order the nachos. Right. Rather than the steak. Well, that's, therein lies the, the, the issue. Every time you, what, in a normal world, what would happen in the economics book, which I guess have never been normal, what would happen is because you have a shock in the gasoline, that the same person, what's going to happen is the demand for gas, that demand line is going to stay the same. The quantity demanded is going to change because you're further down the curve. But the, the, the demand curves for everything else is now going to drop because the 105 there, hours there I put, is, the 105 hours I put a, in the ta- tank means that I'm... Substantial- there's going to be a substantial hit on the pocketbook of, of the American consumer, and it's not just going to be putting gas in their tank. I just that's what it's I just said. It's going to be on the cost of every item on their on their store shelf. It's going to be on the cost of every item that is delivered to their door. It's going to be on the the price of of every single commodity okay, you're, that is delivered. You're talking about the country. You're talking about the supply curves of everything else are going to bump up. What I'm saying is the demand curve for everything else. The 25 extra bucks I threw in the tank on, on Sunday is going to come out of someplace. It's either going to come out of uh, one, one, one night down the street at the Tripoli. It's going to it's going to come out of savings. It, it's got to come some from somewhere, Lou. Probably and as I as I said, as I said, now now this becomes all about me. Well, but you're we're we're saying the same thing. You, you're just you're. Just, I'm just using economic terms, and you're not. It's the exact same message. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, because because 
because people don't people don't vote according to economic terms. They vote well. Strike that. They don't vote with the idea of economic theory in mind. They vote with with their checkbook but, but for, in mind. But they look at how much money they have left at the end of the month, and they look around and go, uh, "I'm not getting a raise, and my cost of living is just jacked." But you know, but twenty percent. All right, don't no, don't take this personally. But the loser of the world, say you make a hundred grand this month. All right, and, and normally you save eighty because I can't imagine you're spending more than twenty, and so you you put up another hundred two hundred dollars in the tank. Uh, not, you don't know the you don't know the strip clubs I go to. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> the high end and the, high, the ones where you need five dollars is not the one dollars. And the reason I tell you the reason I the reason I said that is because I heard uh, it was an NFL player and I can't remember who it was talking about how stupid he was as a as a twenty two year old with money it, it may have been Ryan Leaf and and saying that you know he dropped fifteen or twenty thousand dollars in a night uh, oh, at God. some club somewhere in San Diego anyway that's what caused that reaction I got, I got a great strip club story for you after the break I don't I don't want to hear your strip club stories <laughs> uh, S&P Futures out 36 the S&P Futures out one it's on the same vein as what you're talking about you're right back stocks and jacks how much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right here, right now, right now. Hello, and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom, Mr. Matt Weber, back on the back on the board. Feels good to have him back. Doesn't everybody? Uh, everybody's been calling in. The little one is doing good. The dog is. Uh, 
Doesn't like it when she cries, but he likes her, right? That's right. So far, so good. So you and the dog both don't like it when she cries, but you both like her. Well, the dog. It turns out dogs uh, like to get their sleep as just as much as people do. <laughs> Especially male dogs. <laughs> yes. I can see you two, the YouTube must be the slumber bunnies. Anyway, uh, everything's going good for everybody. Everybody has been asking, so that's great news. The Dow futures down two eighty five, so we're, we're we're bouncing back the other way after. Uh, bizarre world. I mean, we are on Thursday, so yesterday would have been Wednesday, which we were up like 105 points in the S&Ps. Monday we were down almost the exact amount, 105. I don't, I don't know how that even happens. I've never, all, my, all my years in the business, the idea that these are exact numbers, like the bounce back is really strange. Over in Asia, we've got Nikkei. Now they're bouncing the other way because they were... They're, they're up 4%. They're up 972 after getting hammered the last few days. Shanghai up 39, 1.2%. Hang Seng up 262, 1.3%. Uh, this is after the oil dropped yesterday and everybody else. Well, the oil dropped after these guys were closed. They were actually down yesterday. So it, again, it's, it's, the timing is crazy. Dex down 393, that's almost 3%. They were way up yesterday. FTSE down 88, 1.2%. That's not near as bad. Kick around up down 166, 2.6%. Bonds. Uh, back almost up to two percent on the on the ten year, one point nine six. So they made it down to one point six something, and now they bounced all the way back up. Uh, another interesting move. The Bund, uh, positive point, actually positive point two zero, and they were negative four days ago. That's that's crazy. Japan uh, up two basis points to positive point uh, one nine. As a way of review, yesterday Dow up six fifty three. It's two percent. S and P up one oh seven, two and a half percent. NASDAQ, which had been leading the, the pack down, was up 460 to 3.6%. And this morning, even though NASDAQ's down, when Amazon was up 270, they're now up 134 as they announced a 20 for 1 stock split and more, uh, stock being bought by the company. So, more stock buybacks. Oil, back up 4 bucks, about 398 to 112.68. Rent up 485, 115.99. Natural gas up 5 cents, 457. We've got our Bob. Is it 338 up seven cents? Make that 337. So you got to figure at least a 60 to 80 percent top on uh, the wholesale price. So I mean, you got to be talking over four bucks everywhere, which certainly is here. On the city, one guy's over five bucks. I love him. Gold up twenty dollars, two thousand and nine bucks. Silver up thirty seven cents, twenty six nineteen. Copper up nine cents, four sixty six. And last, crypto, we've got it had a four thousand dollar bump with uh, Biden administrations. Uh, study on crypto the other day. Now it's back down almost 3,000 to 39,165. So that, that bump was short lived. Betty, we have for us traffic weather sports. See how much more there is to talk about on the, the stuff since you've been gone? There's a lot of stuff to talk about. 40 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We have one crash in the area that's on the inbound Eisenhower I-290. Right at First Avenue, that crash has been moved to the left shoulder, but it's causing a slowdown as folks navigate around that coming in from the western burbs. No issues on the Edens or Kennedy. Traffic building on the Stevenson, but no accidents to report. Southside Expressways are well-behaved, as is Lakeshore Drive. So we're off to a pretty good start here on a Thursday morning. Weather today, uh, another cold one. Uh, We're in this stretch this week uh, where we're well below normal. Uh, it's supposed to warm up uh, next week, but uh, we'll have to get through this first. Overcast and a high of just 29 today, which is about 10 degrees below normal. We'll also have some snow showers tonight. Not expecting much for accumulation, maybe an inch or two, uh, but uh, expect some snow showers tonight and into the early morning. Right now it's mostly cloudy and 26, going up to a high of 29. For our Phoenix listeners, partly cloudy with a high of 71 today. Right now it's clear and 48. 
In sports, the Bulls snapped their five-game losing streak, winning at Detroit last night, 114 to 108. It was the Suns blowing out the Heat in Miami, 111 to 90. In hockey, Blackhawks and Coyotes were both off. They're both back in action tonight. Blackhawks are in Boston to take on the Bruins at 6 p.m. Coyotes are in Toronto for a 5 p.m. Arizona time puck drop. College hoops, the conference tournaments are underway uh, last week and this week. A Big Ten tournament tipped off last night, and it was Northwestern coming back from 15 points down to beat Nebraska 71-69 to and advance uh, to the second round this afternoon. They'll take on Iowa at approximately 1 p.m. from Indianapolis. DePaul's season is over, however. They lost in the first round of the Big East tournament to St. John's 92-73. to Chief. Yeah, they got spanked. Uh, uh, Marquette's this afternoon, mate. Yep, they got a buy from yesterday. Yeah, buddy, uh, Mr. Mr. Murphy's all upset he can't watch it. He's in court. Who, who is, uh, who's the best team in Chicago right now? Is it the Loyola? Oh yeah, Loyola, yeah. again, they're on a, they're on a five plus year run, maybe longer than that, of kind of being not only the team in Chicago, but until Illinois recently got good again the last couple of years, they were the team in the whole state. And they're back in the NCAA tournament again this year. They just won the uh, Missouri Valley Conference tournament over the weekend. Wow. They explain that's, them. that's terrific. Good yep. for them. And they're moving to the Atlantic 10 next year, um, which is a uh, slightly high, higher rated conference than what they're currently in. So their program uh, is definitely on the rise, even though their coach left for Oklahoma. What, what happened to the uh, two questions? The the uh, UIC team that was didn't they get didn't they get banned from their tournament because they they're moving up to another conference? Whatever happened to those guys? They're moving. Uh, they're replacing Loyola in the Missouri Valley. So, but what happened to uh, the the one they're in? Said they couldn't participate in the tournament or something. Um, I read something like that that basically said uh, the rules of that the conference agreed to that all schools I guess signed up to when they formed the Horizon League or whatever league they were in was that if you decide to leave the conference then you cannot participate in the conference tournament that season and apparently all all the schools agreed to it now it's a stupid rule I, I, I like you're punishing the players that they can't play in the postseason tournament but apparently all the schools agreed to it and they decided they were going to leave for greener pastures and replace Loyola in the Missouri Valley uh, which is an upgrade from the Horizon League and uh, so they they cannot play in the conference yeah. tournament what, what happened they, they, they penalized them what happened to the, with the team that it's their first year Division One, so they won their conference tournament, and they they said they can't go to the. Now NCAA. that one's hilarious. Uh, that's Bellarmine, which is a school most people probably hadn't heard of until recently. But yeah, they were a long time, you know, Division Two school, and right. uh, they applied or whatever you have to do to get into Division One, and apparently it was it's a four year process or something, and so uh, before you're you're officially part of Division One. If, and I'd have to read more details on this. So anyway, they're, they're transitioning to, to Division One. Uh, so they're not eligible for the NCAA tournament. Well, and no one expected them to do well. Well, of course they win their conference tournament yeah, weird. in year one. Uh, and, uh, and, and yet they still don't get to participate. So the team that won the regular season, uh, is going to represent that conference in the tournament. Yeah, not even the team that beat them. Right. Which is even weirder. So you have your championship game, and neither one of them is going to go. Yep. <clears throat> well, uh, they are a, uh, I think, uh, Nick, our buddy, who owns a Tripoli, um, well, he's from the East. I think they're a little liberal arts school in, in Rhode Island, aren't they? Bellarmine? I I don't know. I could look them up. I think they are. I think he said there's like four or 5,000 kids there. It was the same place. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm just pronouncing it phonetically. Um, 
I, he knew I think all about correct. it. Yeah, he knew all about it. Uh, well, they are not in the East, um, according to this search. It looks like they're in Louisville, Kentucky. Well, there must there was well, who's the other? What was the team to get in a fight? Those are the guys are oh, from Rhode Island. Oh, Bryant versus Wagner. Well, Bryant is the one that was yeah. uh, from uh, Rhode Island. Okay, yeah, I knew that was Northeast. Um, so my, my my let me let me throw yeah. let me throw one other sports related uh, discussion out real quick that hits. Uh, well, you got to tell my, us about the baseball. House. You got to tell us about baseball. What are they going to settle? Uh, well, that's they're they're in they're in terminal phase right now. I mean, this is this is pretty. It, it it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to have people making multi million dollar or in some cases multi billion dollar decisions after fifteen straight hours of negotiation. But but that is what tends to happen in all of these cases. And and you know MLB why they couldn't do this, you know, three months ago when they, they initiated the lockout or whatever, however long, beginning of December, when they initiated the lockout and have these sessions, you know, in a, in a manageable format, I don't know. But, but this, this kind of brinksmanship negotiating is absolutely idiotic. And, and, I mean, I saw it. You see it with the NFL. You see it, you know, frankly, you see it even in settling lawsuits where, where some, there's some pivotal events going to happen. And it usually it's, in, in my experience, it's, it's usually either the deposition of the plaintiff or the deposition of the defendants, something somebody really doesn't want to do. And, and, and then at the last, you know, the day before the deposition is supposed to occur, you know, you'll get a, you'll get a meaningful counteroffer from the other side or, or a meaningful push from the side that doesn't want the deposition to occur. And then all of a sudden there'll be a flurry of negotiations. Um, you know, you'll be at the office until eight thirty, nine, ten o'clock at night as you're going through this stuff. And, and the case, the case will settle so that the, the deposition doesn't have to go forward. So for these guys, it, it, it for baseball, it was the loss of, uh, the loss of, of regular season games. Well, they're already up to and, the first four series, right? Um, I haven't heard that those have been formally canceled. Oh, yeah, they were still oh, yeah. talking yesterday that they can well, they're, they're, full 162 yeah, games. Yeah, 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 yes. But uh, uh, it's, it's rare that I'm the one who has to fill in the fine print for you dudes, but they are saying that they still can fill in 102 games, 162 game season through playing on off days and playing double headers, but they've officially canceled the first four series in terms of dates. That's correct. Yeah, well, so what, is, so what does that mean? They've officially canceled, but we're prepared to play them. No, it, what they I'm postponed saying, them. They, yeah. they, in other words, the, yeah. the game on April 5th is not going to happen. Right. They, on April 5th. If they would have settled yesterday, which there actually was a lot of momentum that they were going to come to an agreement yesterday, and of course it didn't happen, then they were planning on starting like April 6th or 7th, which would be a week later, and so, you know, you'd miss your first couple series, but they would make it up in double headers. But now that it didn't happen, you know, it, it's getting more dire. Are we going to go back to the seven inning double headers? I guarantee, I guarantee you they'll they'll fix it. Um, it, it unless they are there, from what I understand of the numbers last night, they're pretty close. Well, the big um, number is the, still the is still the uh, the salary cap. You no, know, they don't have a salary cap. Well, they have you a luxury, luxury tax. tax. Same thing. No, it's not. Um, Very close, but, but it, it it it's designed it's designed to do something comparable, but it doesn't. Uh, but yeah, that's the big, that's the big deal. And they've, they've apparently gotten within probably, I think it's something like five or ten million dollars on each of the threshold levels. And so you're, you know, in a two hundred twenty million dollar 
year, that's that's not a lot of money. Well, but the so they, the, the issue, I, I'm, you know, if, if there's, there's a side to be on, I'm clearly on the side of labor here because in the last eight years, the the, the luxury tax ceiling has gone up by four or five percent, and the, the major and the revenue is up like fifteen. Well, that sucks. Plus, they they make all the uh, they're, they're making all the uh, money. The, the owners, it, it's it's a little different. The uh, the league is making all the money now that and their postseason play. So, what do they want? Fourteen teams to play us, many? Yeah, yeah. So, what are we going to play on Christmas? I'm with you, though. Uh, I'm firmly on the side of the players. I, I usually always am uh, when it comes to uh, th- these types of arguments. Um, but it, when when you see headlines like Ricketts family in talks to buy Chelsea, the the huge you know soccer organization in in the Premier League, they've been crying poor for the last three years. They can't spend a dime on on the Cubs. Uh, you know, COVID killed them. Uh, Marquee Network killed them. All this stuff, and then yet they're going to go buy Chelsea the, <laughs> for hundreds and you know for billions of dollars probably. Don't listen to these guys when they're crying poor. Always side with the players. Always. Well, the people that are paying, that are getting paid for order flow in our business right now, which we don't, by the way, uh, have done exceptionally well. Of course they have. It's exceptionally well. Of course they have. And it's, and it's, and it's harder and harder and harder to get somebody to, to even have, get one of these firms deal with you, right? Uh, because we, we do some, real quick, we do a lot of, I do consulting work for people with have positions. And, Unfortunately, it's for somebody to say, "Yeah, I want I want help with my my positions." It's such and such. You know, I could name the firm, but I won't. It's almost impossible for the firm to coordinate with like a third party to actually download the positions in the morning, and so I can have them graphed for somebody to have them look. Nobody wants to even interface with anybody because they don't want anybody doing anything other than sending in market orders. It's it's unbelievable what has happened to this business. Now, fortunately. Um, for my clients, and I you don't normally say this, we've had a pretty good run of it. But boy, it's been, it's been amazing amount of work because the system is really, every, every day it seems like it, it's, it's geared more towards somebody and it's not the end user. Let's put it that way. And let me, just, let me throw out another variation on the, sort of the way this, this system works. I, I remain agnostic. This is, this is millionaires against billionaires. I understand what the what the owners want to do. I understand what the players want to do. Uh, this is this is all pretty much just naked naked self interest bashing uh, up against uh, naked self interest. The Brian Flores case for the NFL is is right now at a at a stage that you know a lot of people just didn't pay attention to when he first filed it. Every every NFL contract, every every NFL coach's contract contains a clause that says in the event of a dispute arising under the terms of this agreement or related to performance of services under this agreement the parties agree that any dispute will be resolved by arbitration through the commissioner's office this is this is a binding what's called a binding arbitration clause and it it basically forces all Lawsuits like this, that like this, the one this guy filed, into into a a private resolution system. Guess who the arbitrator is? The NFL. Yeah, it's the commissioner. 
<laughs> well, I mean, aren't those uh, even in our business? Aren't these uh, arbitration clauses becoming more and more illegal? I mean, no. I, well, I mean, there are there, there's there's efforts to try to curb them, but the Supreme Court is very much in favor and has been for decades, very much in favor of using alternate means that the parties agree on to resolve issues rather than going in through the expense of a lawsuit. Well, if you want to open up a brokerage account, I'm not saying, first of all, I think the arbitration probably even maybe favors the customer in our business now, but it's that's maybe one man's opinion. But when you if you want to trade stock in every single firm, to a certain extent, through FINRA, colludes to say you must use arbitration, that's not an arm's length transaction, well, not in my world. You know, again, if you don't, in, in an employment setting, if you don't want the clause, don't go to work. Right, but I'm you saying know, if every right. single firm had the same clause, that, that that starts to smell of collusion. You know how I am on collusion. I'm not big on collusion. Well, I, I understand that. And, again, I, I'm i not going to get into a discussion about why the NFL could do this. But but the, these clauses are, are significant and they're meaningful. And in this case, I'm pretty sure they're binding, which is why... Mr. Flores is, or a court's going to find him binding, which is why Mr. Flores' attorney sent a public letter to Goodell yesterday saying, this is so unfair, it's not transparent, you know, everybody feels that this is a bad thing, and your feelings should should take precedent over the legal terms of these agreements that you're forcing everybody to sign. And and so when you get a letter like that going out, you know, my my immediate reaction is, you know, you you pretty much know you're going to lose when this if this goes to court, and of course the the dolphins have, have no interest in in having a, a court trial on this, and so they they filed a motion to kick it, to dismiss it, and, and let the parties go to arbitration. I don't see how a, how a court, especially a federal court, says anything other than, well, this is the contract you guys signed. You know, Mr. Flores was nobody had a gun to Mr. Flores's head. He he took a head coaching job. He he signed this agreement. Party, you know, he was advised by a counsel when he signed it, and and so this will be the agreement. And I unless unless the NFL and this this is an interesting question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the NFL has standing. I'd have to look at the agreement again. Has standing to say no. We're not going to. We're not going to arbitrate this. I mean, I assume Goodell could refuse to to do be the arbitrator, but the Miami Dolphins are the people that have the contract with Flores, not the NFL. And so the Dolphins, I think, could easily say, "Yeah, fine, Roger, go away. We're we're still getting this into arbitration. The fact that you don't want to do the case doesn't doesn't really matter to us." Well, how do you? Um, um, well, we don't have that much time, but I mean, just a. A general question. One of my, and you may not agree with his answer. There were people on the trading floor way back in the day started hiring guys, and uh, and they and they started doing non compete clauses. You know, somebody got a hair up there behind to do them, so they started doing non compete clauses. So I get one of my attorney buddies, who I thought was pretty learned and still do. Of course, you may disagree with him. Lawyers always do. And I said, Tell, "Give me the scoop on on uh, non compete clauses." And he said, "Well, generally, there there there's a certain common sense item to them." He said, in other words, if you're an attorney in Jackson, Wyoming, where there's one attorney office and you hire somebody, you probably can have a non-compete to say after three months where he gets to know all your clients, he can't open up a shop down the block and start competing against you. He goes, but it's pretty hard in New York City 
where there's 300,000 or 400,000 attorneys to say that the guy's competing against you. It's the same way on the trading floor. He said if, if, if there's four people in a trading crowd and he's your clerk and the guy stands right next to you now he's a trader, I guess that's, that might be enforceable, but if he's over in the OEX pit with you with 400 other people, it's real hard to say the guy's competing against you. Because there's, so that's, when you start getting to these things like Major League Baseball and football, there is no other place. That's why I think these kind of clauses there are a little bit suspect in my mind. Because there is no well, competition. Well, an arbitration, so, so an arbitration clause is fundamentally different from a non-compete agreement. Non-competes, right. I, I litigated a ton of these things. Non-competes are a creature of state law. So each state is slightly different in the way they value it. But, but your friend is, is correct to the extent that, that non-compete agreements typically recognize a couple of things. They look at the value of the information that the employee received while he was working for you. And, and they look at the, um, you know, the, the available alternatives to, to work. So, so, so in a situation, it's a it's a balancing test. So, in a situation where you've got incredibly valuable information that comes to the employee, <coughs> excuse me, that comes to the employee as a result of work, typically an employer can prevent that employee from going out and using that information in a comparable job. So, so somebody working at a high level sales position or a position where they're in direct contact with customers. You can preclude that individual from contacting those customers. You can preclude that individual from going to work in the same field. That that works. Where you where people get into trouble with non competes is when you've got a guy working, say, as a, a a short order cook or a janitor who is not learning any special trade secret of the company or any special has any special knowledge that only the company can give him, and you tell that guy you can't go work within a 25-mile radius of, of where you worked before. Those kinds of agreements are almost never upheld. But a non-compete agreement for a for a, a salesperson <clears throat> who has direct client contact, a non-compete agreement for somebody who is uh, a technician using high, you know, the, the highly proprietary trade secrets of the company, um, not an agreement for some uh, restricting, and, and, and usually you see these things at high-level management positions, somebody who's been privy to the marketing secrets or the marketing plans of the company and you say you can't go to work in the in this business because of the specialized knowledge that you have of our business plans you you can generally restrict those people from from working uh in the industry or in a certain geographic reason or a geographic area within reason well i i, I can push back on that when i was a janitor I was so good at doing gym floors that I think it was proprietary. <laughs> Just but, but so the question would be: Was that a result of your specialized janitorial skill sets? And, and I must say that I've often thought that you would make a great janitor. <laughs> um, or, By the way, or, we became a custodian after a while, not a janitor. So yeah. okay, yeah, fair enough. Well, was that the result? Of, was that the result of something that you you, know, you learned from your employer? So I had a case. If you got, you got a, like two seconds. I had a case where we had a non-compete agreement against a, uh, a, a technology person in the uh, in the uh, IT industry who who that lasted for for two years. Couldn't work there for couldn't work in the business for two years, and I got it shut down because the 
I, I was able to successfully argue that the nature of this industry was such that the value of the information that this guy had would be obsolete within six months. Which is probably and true court, everywhere, yeah. The court, yeah. Yeah, the court agreed. The court agreed. It said, yeah, two years is ridiculous. It's six months. Bang. All right, bud, we'll talk at you next week, if not sooner, uh, with this war on and you're, you're on call. You're a war guy. What can I tell you? Uh, uh, yeah, what is it? What is it good for? Yeah, uh, you guys have a good, guys have a good weekend. <laughs> uh, SP futures down forty five, still Nasdaq futures down uh, two hundred one, so actually a little lower. Be right back, Mister Dan Janitas. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now. Something happening here. Well, I'm Jackson. I'm tomorrow. He's Mr. Weber on the board. SP Futures down on 48, and NASDAQ Futures down 209. Maddie's got a cartoon sent from one of our listeners and one of our, our, my old Pullman buddies that, uh, some lady's showing off her new engagement ring, and she says, by the way, we're now registered at BP and at Shell. <laughs> Just saying. Dan, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Hey, before I get. I wander off like I always do on subjects that nobody. I take us places nobody wants to go. I have a couple of questions. You're becoming the guy where people send in questions even before you're on. For God's sake, uh, a question for Dan tomorrow. What is his take on, on BDCs? Most have floating rates. Their loans and have yields about seven percent or higher. And he's got one. He's got the ARCC. Has been holding up good for a while. I was thinking about a Golub GBDC and Bearings BBDC. What are these things? You like these things? I'm, I'm actually not, I don't, um, I'm not sure what they are. 
Well, we'll have to we'll, 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 we'll research that, and we'll have the answer next week. How's that? Sure, sure, absolutely. I thought they were Definitely like those that. things that uh, that you were talking about a couple of weeks ago, where they they, they take the uh, they strip the interest piece off, or the the, the uh, interest var- variable rate off the top, and and just pay. Uh, what was that one? Uh, a lot of people bought it. Um, you know what I'm talking That's about? Cool. The uh, you were talking about last week too. The uh, yeah, well, floating rate notes, um, bank loan. Bank loans, um, anything that is short term or has a short term reset, um, so that you participate when interest rates go up, all those are going to perform well in this upcoming environment. As rates are definitely going higher, so that's <clears throat> that's one thing we can be sure of. And rates need to go higher. This is the part of the cycle, the, the long term business cycle. Rates need to go higher. We need this um, tightening in, in credit. So it's it's um, going to start. Um, it's, you know, with uh, Tuesday is the fifteenth, and um, we should have, you know, I think more. Um, you know, things should be more clear. But I think at this point, we're going to get at least twenty-five basis points. So the way you want to protect yourself is to invest in um, any type of fixed income security, any type of um, security period that's going to give you the higher rate and is going to have a short reset period. And when I say, but what I mean by reset is that as interest rates go up, the rate on your security is going to correspondingly go up, the same as it would with an adjustable rate mortgage or any other type of floating rate uh, note, the same as it would, frankly, in a a money market fund. So money market rates go up as interest rates go up on the short end. Well, Dan, what was that one that uh, was an equity, but they they, they would sell uh, interest rate futures against it, so it was... uh you know, yeah. keep the duration down. Yeah, the high yield, yeah. The high yield um, HYZD. Yeah, that's <laughs> the one. Which that's is, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, high yield, high yield um, is an area that I think holds a lot of value right now. Default rates are really low. Zero duration, uh, the high yield zero duration ETF <clears throat> eliminates the interest rate risk, which means that as rates go higher, you're not going to get. Um, you're not going to be dealing with any interest rate risk because that's been stripped out of the um, of this particular ETF. And you do get exposure still to higher yields. And, and what I've noticed recently in the past few months is that a lot of these names that I've recommended have been paying dividends, and they've actually their dividends have actually been going up. So as rates go up, you're going to get more dividends. You're going to have a relatively stable asset value, net asset value. So you're not going to see a lot of fluctuation. So if you don't like this volatile period we're in, they're a good alternative. And I really don't see a lot of downside. I mean, there's a little bit of downside in the emerging market. There's a short-term emerging market um, ETF uh, that we had recommended. Um, but that actually bounced back yesterday. And th- these are, um, I think, a good place to park some some cash uh, right now and to be able to participate um, in a higher interest rate environment. That being said, um, I still like utilities in here, and the names in particular that I've mentioned, they will perform, very, they have performed very well. I mean, yesterday was a, a, an usual day in the market, and these names sold off a little bit, but they were getting, you know, we've seen positive um, gains every single day during this really difficult period. So an old name that we've been mentioning for a while that I will continue to knock the table on is, is the Black Hills, which is a utility based out of uh, Rapid 
city of Dakota, ticker, ticker symbol BKH, paying a, a dividend in excess of 6%. Really good management team um, and also a very flexible management team. Uh, Otter, OTTR, we had mentioned uh, another utility. Uh, gas Electric uh, has um, uh, headquarters in uh, Minnesota, but does a fair amount in the Dakotas, and uh, they have that wind power facility that we talked about in North Dakota. One point I want to make with everything that we're hearing on the news is there's this seems to be this like reluctance to go back to um, or to increase production of oil and gas in the U.S. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions, and the biggest misconception is that we're not already doing it. And we are already doing it. These utilities that I talk to on a frequent basis talk specifically about how they have been moving into alternative, how they've been, um, they have major plans to reduce emissions, but they really are not looking to, you know, start, you know, Joe's solar business. These companies have been in the business for a long time and are doing all of the right things. So I know even here in Florida, not that I'm necessarily recommending Florida Power and Light, but you do get subsidies if you have um, solar plant panels on your roof. I had it on a home in Florida once. They took care of all the costs of heating my pool. It took care of all the costs of heating my pool. And those investments are, are you know, there's a brand new, um, very large housing community that's cl- fairly close to where I live. That's all solar. In fact, it's the first all solar facility. And that's going on. So, so what confuses me sometimes is when I hear people make it seem like it's either, you know, we either need to go green or we need to, um, you know, we need to stop production. I think that's crazy. I think we, we need to continue production. We need to, have, if anything, beef up production because of what's going on in Russia and the Ukraine. But we also need to be aware, people need to be aware that it's already happening. You know, we're already moving in that direction, and we just need to continue to support that direction. And the companies need to continue to move in the direction they're moving because I have a lot of faith that these companies are know more than anybody else about um, the situation, the energy situation, the the um, electric electric situation, gas. And I think these are the you know the people. Fortunate, I'm fortunate to have uh, conversations with frequently that. Um, have have uh, really convinced me that they're in they're in a good place, and you know where some of the news or information is coming from that is sort of saying that we don't have any of this um, or very little of it, um, it confuses me. So I think the you know there has to be some education, and especially with people in the administration, that it's already happening. You know we're we're already moving in that direction. This is not nothing new. And as an investor, I would I would um, want. Um, to look not at Joe's solar company that's coming out, but at some of these utilities that are participating there, that have the infrastructure that are you know in place already, that really understand um, the industry and have been you know they've been senior managers in the industry for many decades, and I, these are the people that I think if you want to invest in this environment, I would go first with the names like Black Hill or Otter Tail. Or we talked about Spire, which is a natural gas company based in Missouri that pays a six and a half percent dividend. You're getting some nice dividend. You're getting a solid company, 
you're not investing in Joe's small solar company that's going to, you know, have its ups and downs and, and, you know, doesn't have a history in the industry. So I think the, you know, the main message is that utilities are a good place to be. Natural gas is a good place to be. Hopefully our government um, and, and hopefully the energy companies continue to move forward with making U.S. production a priority and not really looking at some of the foreign countries that I think could um, contribute to additional geopolitical risks. Because um, we have the resources here. We have the resources in Canada, which is close by. So that, you know, on the energy side, I think that's the... Uh, hopefully we get there. Um, and if we don't, sit tight with names like Black Hill and Otter Tail and Inspire. Matty, did, uh, did, did Dan, our most, gentle, our most gentlemanly guest... Actually, say that people need to be more aware. <laughs> Sounded <laughs> like it. <laughs> Dan said that he never says anything like that. <laughs> he has snuck that well, one I in. Think, I think there's so many misconceptions out there of what's going on and who's responsible for for this and that, and you know, people that don't even know that there's a war going on right oh, now. Oh, it's, it's scary, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I think it's it is scary, and I think part of that actually I blame on the media sources, not only not only just information that may not be 100% accurate, but also the fact that a lot of people have alternative media sources where they can pick and choose what they want to listen to, but you really do need to be aware of everything going on and then not suddenly be surprised when you see higher higher gas prices. Yeah, and I don't, uh, I, oh, I'm sorry. I'm saying I, it's uh, our, our expert and uh, our sorely missed expert on, on media, Mr. Matt Weber. There's... He's always told me, and he's and I always listen because I may not act like I'm listening, but I always do. That somehow or another, when you do TV, man, you should tell the story, not me. Is it the 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 time it takes to give the full story, even if you wanted to, you know, both sides of the facts is outside of the range that they think people want to hear. Is that right, Manny? I mean, is it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a conundrum there, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah. For When you're talking about 24-hour news, it's, it's quick-hit segments. It's bring on four experts, throw a topic out there, each person gets 30 seconds to weigh in, and then it's on to the next topic. And that's the attention span they think their viewership has, and it's been proven over their analytics that they have, and they base their advertising around. And so that's why you never hear the full story and why people are ill-informed on a lot of topics unless they take the time to actually, you know, dig in and read and, 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 and you know, learn on their own. Yeah, it's a And that's actually what we do. I mean, that's our, our whole approach is research, and, and, and uh, you do discover quite a bit more than what you may hear on the surface. And, and um, yeah, and, and I agree also with Matt saying that, that people may have a the the attention span is there but then all they do they may remember some key points that were mentioned in the in the in the, you know the panel or the or on the on the um call and not, now they're they're uh that's sort of stuck in their head um and then they hear something that's contrary uh, a number of people that I've talked to or you know including myself I think have the feeling that there are a number of different conflicting messages going on um you know we still have a, and this is, I guess, a positive that we still have a huge amount of demand for jobs. I mean, there's still a lot of people out there looking for work. CEOs I speak to still say that that's an issue. Um, that I still think is a paramount issue in terms of getting inflation down, getting people back to work, companies providing incentives to get people back, a government supporting what the companies are doing. 
I think that needs to happen so that um, you know that that could be that is the crux I think of where the inflation issues are happening and then also going back to the sort of dependency on the US for what we have right here and now and not necessarily saying that it shouldn't be done in a you know in a, with, with climate change in mind but the thing is climate change is um, ongoing already emissions have come down tremendously uh, you know electric cars are, are being made but it's a lot it goes a lot further than that it goes to you know airlines and freight tankers and um, you know there's a, there's a lot of other uses of oil and gas that people are not thinking about because they're, they're looking quick you know quickly and shortly at what's going on at the pump at their local gas station well it's and not uh, at the bigger picture which could be much more greatly well, impacted Dan, by Mr. the situation uh, of higher um, crude prices well Matt's uh Absolutely right, and what you're saying is that the, the bottom line is, though, you, you shouldn't be able to watch five hours of allegedly news news TV and not know the facts. I mean, the I mean, how many people, just to stay in this oil thing for a second because i got other stuff to talk to you about, how many people, as soon as we started, which we, the I, think, I believe it was the Trump administration, changed the rule on you can actually export U.S. oil? That immediately people took the the idea that that meant we were we were a net exporter. It never meant that. We, no. were, never, we were never a net exporter. But so how does how does somebody watch allegedly news business news for ten years and not know that? I agree. I mean, what you what you said basically in a nicer way on a trading floor. You used to say some people make things happen, some people watch things happen, and the great majority wonder what happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, and the thing, I mean, we, we have to anticipate, Tom, right? We have to anticipate as investors, we have to anticipate what's going to happen, and we have to be two steps ahead. And, you know, oftentimes I'm getting messages either from clients or, or just hearing things from, from friends or people in the industry. You know, they're discovering something that I had already thought about weeks ago, that we had already discussed weeks ago in terms of how to position yourself and your portfolio and your investments to, you know, to keep, you know, to, to reserve your capital and to, and to and maybe be prepared to take advantage of some sell-offs in the market that are going to create opportunities. So, for example, next week we are going to see the Fed raise rates. If they raise any more than 25 basis points, that could be good for the market. Um, there could be like a short-term, you know, impact. If they don't raise rates, I believe that would be bad for the market. So the expectation is for 25 basis points. Now, what that means to the end, you know, user is, it means a lot. And one of the things it means, though, in terms of looking at your investments is that you're going to have, you are going to finally start getting a few pennies in your checking account. You're going to start being able to look at some fixed income investments that are going to pay some yield. It's going to enhance the spread or the yield that you're getting on some of these high-yielding um, investments. It's going to be a challenge to a lot of the continue to be a challenge to a lot of the uh, tech companies and the and the companies um, when you're thinking about discounting um, cash flows and how you're looking at the present value. Again, is it is the um, Florida? Well, I, I deal with a lot of retired people and the people that I, I manage money for, and I picked them up a long time ago, and now they're retired. But uh, is the average person in Florida, which a lot of retired people, obviously, if they if they figured out yet? That on any money balance this year, they're going to be down ten percent at the end of the year. 
I think it's a, it's a really good question because that's definitely what, what I'm seeing here. And I keep feeling like that shoe hasn't quite dropped yet. Like people haven't quite realized that that's coming. That that's coming. Coming. It's ongoing. Fixed incomes, for example, definitely get hit as inflation goes up. And you make a good point that you know they could get hit to the tune of ten percent. The same time, prices of I mean, housing is still out of control, going up. Rents are out of control, uh, double, you know, of double what they were last year. And then everything else that everyone in the rest of the country is dealing with, you know, your, your food and your, um, you know, cars and, and pretty much everything else. So yes, it, it's going to get hit. And why there are a lot of people, you know, just from my point of view, if I'm running errands during the day, I'm seeing a lot of younger people, um, you know, who look like they're not working. I do believe that the PPP, and we've had a lot of local news on this. The PPP money that was given out last year, um, there was way too much of it given out. As a, you know, as a result, our system is still flooded with that money. As a result, a lot of people still haven't gone back to work. And um, there was a fair amount of spending, but I think there was some savings as well. We haven't worked through that money yet, and that money we have to wait till we get through that money before it's going to happen. A noticeable impact on. Well, why do you say we um, got to wait, wait to that money? We're still doing thirteen and a half percent money supply a month, which is nuts. Which is really nuts. By the way, uh, Maddie, do me a favor. Check check the number. This is this isn't Dan. This is Revolution Dan. Did he did he go to the gas station and put, pay five bucks yesterday? This is a new Dan we're hearing today. I paid. I paid. Yeah, I'm saying all of, a, all of a sudden, he, all of a sudden, he's saying rents are going up. Fifteen percent when the CPI says they're up three percent, Dan. You become, you yeah. become revolution, Dan. I had heard that. I you know I know I know the source where you're getting the numbers, and I had heard that number again. You know, they're talking about the different the the, the different areas. Now it's actually what's happening here in Florida. It's I think we're like number two in the country for for increase you know increase in rents. I mean, if you look hard, you can find something less expensive. But um, historically, you know, rents have not been outrageous. Other than in the high, you know, the areas where everyone wants to be, you know, close to the to the water and all that, but rents have actually doubled over the last year, last eighteen months. What have you read? Um, uh, what have you read nationwide? I, the stuff I read is all between ten and a half and thirteen and a half nationwide. Is that? Yeah, nationwide we're way ahead, and I think we're also way ahead on what's happening with uh, housing prices. And then, as you know, there's that trickle down effect to other goods. So you're paying more for your house, but you're paying more for property taxes. Um, insurance, you're paying more for, um, you know, now you need to, you know, furnish your house because you're buying a bigger house. So all of those costs are, are going up. And now think about this, gas costs more, you know, to deliver um, the goods that you're purchasing or the goods that you're moving, and it just keeps going and going. So that the there will be a point, and I'm not sure when that's going to be, but there will be a point where we break even with all this. And I'm hoping that at that point more people go back to work. I'm hoping that we start seeing some major moves in terms of um, on the on the oil and gas side. You know, more production um, locally, um, maybe more education in the fact to the fact that yeah, yeah this yeah. is happening already. You know, we're we're you know making making these strides already. And then you know maybe people who are you know concerned about their um, What's going on in their the retirement? Well, Dan, plan. you had to be you had to looking be looking at people like you know us, Tom, like you and me, looking for strategies that are going to be 
more, uh, you know, focused on capital preservation, income, you know, still with some upside, but certainly with a lot more safety than they may have been. Well, Dan, we, you know, you know, we have the. It's going to take a point. Don't you think it's going to take a point? Like when they open, when individuals start opening that next quarterly, it could even happen as soon as, you know, April when, when, when individuals receive their 401k statement. And I know people who are saying, I'm just not even going to open it. And, you know, I want them to open it. Well, that's, that's been the, for the last 12 years, everybody, I must have seen, heard and saw five people on TV yesterday saying no matter what, Every time it goes down, it comes back up. Resist any kind of urge to adjust anything, and I don't know. They've they've been right for twelve years, but we can't trade the last twelve years. We got to trade the next year. They're, Absolutely. So you, I got a quick quick question for you. It's it's rare for me to say a whole lot of stuff. Weren't you pretty encouraged by the last labor number? Not not just so much the numbers. The numbers these guys with the adjustments they come up and down, but it it looked like a chunk of people came out of the. The, the we don't know what they're doing column back into the labor force, and I've been kind of watching for that. I found that you know where the participation number is going. I, I don't think we can survive with a sixty or sixty-one percent number. I think I think we got to be sixty-six, sixty-seven, because I don't think the rest of us can pay the pensions and everything for everybody. I, I, I was first time I was real encouraged by these labor numbers. I mean, I, did you yeah. did you sense that too, or am I just being am I just trying to be Pollyanna here for once in my life? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that, that the you know the labor numbers certainly look good, but remember they're based on you know what just happened. Yeah, yeah. there have been more jobs created, um, certainly more people getting back to work post COVID. Um, I, I you know at a conference this week, and I've talked I'm talking to the CEOs about what's going on in their individual organizations, and they've been pleasantly surprised that a very large percentage of the people want to get back in the office they give the option of working hybrid to a lot of people but the uh, to most of their staff but people want to get back in they have had growth i mean a lot of these businesses have had good growth and they are able to hire more dan is, and, is it is it real i mean this is a very broad question but well because i have two questions i don't have that much time left uh is is it how can some i mean if you're a ceo of the places you're talking about those those guys know real growth versus BS growth, meaning you just raise the prices. Uh, are, are you seeing in a lot of these places? Is it real growth? I mean, they actually make, selling more widgets than last year. They because I think I think everybody is is we're awash in this. Everybody's raised the prices so much you can't tell whether you're growing or not from the from the from the big numbers. Yes, but so so the way I look at that is so we're still in the earnings reporting season for 2021, right? For the fourth yep. quarter of 2021. So, and that period was long before we knew anything about Russia and the Ukraine happening to this degree, um, before we saw the impact, you know, the, the, the increased impact of inflation, um, and certainly before um, there's going to be hikes in interest rates. So, so yes, I think, you know, looking at the numbers from last year, it was a big improvement over, over the prior year. Not too much of a surprise. Going forward, I think we're going to see some leveling out. And like I said, there'll be a time when we reach a break even where those numbers will look um, more in line with where they should be. Are, are you afraid of a uh, minute and a half from now or whatever it is? What are we going to do if we get a 1%? Two questions here, two-part question like I always have. What are we going to do if we get a 1% number today? And secondly, when are they going to catch up on like the rental stuff, which they obviously are not putting in these numbers? Or are they just never going to catch up? 
it's the, there's always a lag because they're always looking at statistics. But I still, you know, even if you just look at the way the CPA PI is created, it, you know, then when you start getting into X food and energy, well, all we're talking about to the average person is is food and energy, right? Going to the grocery store, going to the gas pump, which is something that most people do frequently, multiple times a week. So, so uh, I think when you're looking at the overall number, you have to you have to really consider where the other pressures are and. Most importantly, you have to know that we're in a world that where energy prices um, impact everything. So they impact flight, flying. It's not just the cost of getting a ticket. It's airlines cutting back. There's a lot of, um, of oil and gas that's used in other, you know, whether it be manufacturing of, of um, certain goods, whether it be, you know, there's, it impacts other areas as well. And the, the inflation side of things is, is still going to continue. I think inflation will start coming down when the demand side, the demand destruction side, if you will, starts hitting. We're just at the very beginning of that. But it's going to take a while because there's still a lot of jobs out there. It's going to take a while because there's still a lot of cash on the side from all that well, just money as that a, was given out. As a way to you know, re- I know you know this, but just to refresh your memory, uh, all items less food and energy are 79% of the basket. So so right. your, your, your food and energy is 21%. Um, so just so you know, even if gas goes flying up, it, it's uh, it, you know it, it's not going to uh, affect the total as much as, as as you think it does when you go buy gas, yeah. like I did Sunday. But I just wonder on the other stuff, like on the rents and everything, do they ever plan on catching up, or are they going to stay? Are they going to stay ridiculous forever? You know, where uh, f- why don't you hang on here for a second, Dan? We'll through the CPI if you don't mind, and then we'll go to break because uh, sure. this is a big number. By the way, you, you, you are, your utility companies, those guys seem like they're straight shooters. I, I just, here I get such a bad view of those guys with people's gas and Commonwealth yeah. Edison. I just, but I'm glad you come out and, and talk about places that are straight because I just, I, I, I can't even go there with these guys. How much money you give them, I'm not going to see it as an investor. I get that feeling. Yeah, but. yeah I, but I think, yep, yeah, this is sort of thinking outside of the, the local, you know, um, oh, we got a hot one here, Dan. It's not that far from you guys, but it's still, I think, looking outside of the area because some of these um, are, are much, the utilities I'm mentioning are much better managed, uh, not dealing with as much of the political issues. Um, they're really focused on, you know, the bottom line and, and paying high dividends and, and running solid businesses and, and staying ahead of the curve, you know, with, with some of the clean energy issues as well. So they're, you know, they're hitting it on, I think, on a, they, they performed extremely well during the, this recent sell-off. And, I got, I got you know, a Black Hills, for example, was up ten points. So, it's those are the types of names you want to be in in, in an uncertain environment like this. The end, I got us uh, po- I don't know if you saw, but point eight is the number versus point seven. So it wasn't one, but no. but uh, I I don't need I shouldn't need my calculator, but I'm gonna try it. Uh, let's see, twelve times what point uh, eight is what. Is nine point six on the year, so let's say ten. It's still not great. Dan, thank you very much, buddy. Good, good stuff as usual. Talk at you next week. Yep, um, we'll be right back. Stocks and Jacks. The rest of these numbers. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading 
ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know. All while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities. They play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Ali's Mr. Brett Weber on the board. Here's another example of what people say is expected versus maybe what's really expected. We had the S&P futures down 40. And the expectation allegedly was a 0.7% CPI number. It came in at 0.8. So even though it's worse than expected by somebody, who are these expectators? S&Ps have rallied 10 points. So I think people were thought we're going to need an even worse number. We'll go through some of those in a minute, but let's do the rest of this stuff first. Uh, Dow Futures down 361 over in Asia. Uh, these guys, the... Uh, they were they were up yesterday and uh, they didn't get the long, or the Ukraine or anyway because of the time changes all these all these areas of trading are all different. Uh, Nikkei up nine seventy two that's three point nine percent. Shanghai up thirty nine one point two. Hang Seng up two sixty two one point three. Now in Europe they're going the other way because of the timing difference. Dax down four fifty four that's three point three percent. Puts you down one oh six one point five. They're they're the steadiest. Kek around down one fifty six two point five. Uh, bonds, um, unchanged at 1.95. They were up a bit earlier, right? When I say bonds, I'm talking about the 10-year rate. Bond up six uh, basis points to 0.25. It was, it was negative on Monday morning, man. Bizarre, huh? Japan uh, up three basis points to uh, 0.19. Uh, it was a way of review. Yesterday, Dow was up 653. S&P up 107. It's 2.6%. NASDAQ up 463.6. Almost the exact mirror image of the down day and... Uh, Monday. So, cra- crazy stuff. Oil, up 459, back up, 113.29. Rent up 516, 116.30. Natural gas up 6 cents, 458. Arbob up 8 cents, 337. I think it topped out at 350-something, but it's down a little bit on the Arbob. Uh, gold, up 1880 to 2007. Silver up 29 cents, 2611. Uh, copper up 8 cents, 466. We got crypto, uh, giving up 2300 of the 4000 was up on the 
administration crypto uh, study thing that came out yesterday or the day before. They've given back half of that. The other piece of news is Amazon's up 124 after being up 260, saying they're going to buy back stock and split 20 to 1, which will put them down to what, almost uh, $200 a sh- No, not 200 $150 a share. Maybe we got for us traffic weather sports. 37 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. We had an earlier crash on the inbound Eisenhower at First Avenue. Now we have a crash on the outbound Ike at the same uh, place, First Avenue. This one is blocking the right lane and causing congestion if you're heading outbound on I-290. Inbound is already moving slow, so uh, I-290 certainly our slowest moving expressway here on a Thursday morning. Traffic building on the Edens and Kennedy, but no accidents to report. Same for the Stevenson. Southside expressways have been pretty normal all morning. No accidents or major delays to speak of. Just normal uh, traffic buildup. Off the expressways, uh, we have a crash. Uh, southwestern suburbs, this says an accident with injuries. Renwick Road at Illinois 53, there's a crash. And then uh, northwest of there, Route 59 at Mack Road, there is an accident as well. Weather today, another cold and gloomy day, uh, well below normal, about 10 degrees below normal for our high, which is just 29, and then we could have some snow showers later on this evening and into the overnight hours. Not expecting much for accumulation, but a a dusting into Friday morning, but right now it is uh, mostly cloudy and 26, going up to a high of 29. We will warm up next week, though, I'm told. For our Phoenix listeners, partly cloudy with a high of 71 today. Right now it's clear and 49. In sports, the Bulls snapped their five-game losing streak, winning at Detroit last night, 114 to 108. Suns beat up on the Heat, 111 to 90. Blackhawks and Coyotes were both off; they're both back in action tonight. College hoops, Big Ten tournament saw Northwestern come back from 15 down to beat Nebraska, 71 to 69. They'll take on Iowa this afternoon in round two. DePaul's season is over, however; they lost in the first round of St. John's, 92 to 73. Chief. Maddie, what's your having got? Hey, John, how are you? I'm fine, Tom, and you? I'm doing good. Let's get Maddie since we haven't talked to him in ages. I know it's great to hear you back, man. Yeah, Maddie, Thank really, you. Really, what uh, what is your assessment on Debos? I mean, I think they still need another big guy. What do you think? Well, they're not a perfectly constructed roster. We knew that they're uh, much improved. We knew that too. I think they've really got hit by two things: one, a lot of injuries at the same time, and then two, they're uh, the hardest part of their schedule. Uh, you know, at the same time with all the injuries. And I think that uh, it's putting a ton of pressure to outscore their opponents uh, with DeRozan and Levine and Vucevic because their defensive guys are all out right now. So it's a weirdly constructed team where you have sort of an offensive group and you have a defensive group, and unfortunately you don't have a lot of two-way guys. And uh, with Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, and Patrick Williams all out at the same time, it's really hurt their defense. And, and you know, couple that with playing the toughest portion of your schedule, uh, it led to the five-game losing streak and, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a disappointing effort. But supposedly they're getting Caruso back as soon as next week, and then Ball and uh, Williams uh, will both be back shortly thereafter. And all of a sudden, with the Tristan Thompson signing, the, the big guy th- – that you mentioned he's kind of a defensive guy now you have a more balanced team uh that should uh, you know if they can get used to playing with each other should uh, sort of gel right right as we wrap up the regular season at least ideally but you know that said they're not a championship contender but they're certainly a team that's uh, a top four or five team in the east that can make some noise and, and win a win a round or two what uh what, what happened to the ball I mean, I know he's been out, but what, does he hurt real bad or what? It was a six to eight week injury, just like Caruso's, except uh, Ball was a, a, a lower body injury. I think it was his knee. 
and it was a like a, a sprained knee, nothing torn, but he needed rest, and uh, and now he's he's approaching being out, you know, six six or seven weeks now, so he's he's coming back soon. But yeah, he just he hurt his knee. Well, that's a shame. And he, the Williams kid, when he got hurt, that was bad. He was playing really well. He was, and he's their best, you know, sort of stopper that can that can guard, you know, wings, but he can also guard in the post. And then Caruso is their best on-ball defender by far. Uh, so you take all three of those guys out at the same time, and, and yeah, they can still score, and yeah, their all-stars are still on the team, so people are like, wow, maybe they aren't that good. But you really took the lifeblood of their roster out all at once, and, and they're playing a really hard part of their schedule. So I'm, I'm more optimistic than others. I think those guys come back, they bring that defensive energy back to the team, take some of the pressure off the other guys, and uh, and I think they can go on a run. I think they're a totally different team with that Caruso guy playing. He, he brings such a ball of energy, it's scary. Well, not only are you correct in your assessment via the eye test, but the stats will tell you that too. I saw something the other day that they go from when he's on the floor, there's something like top five in, in defensive efficiency while he's out there, and when he's not out there, they drop all the way down to like 27th. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he makes that big of a difference because he pressures the ball. And, and, and he's so good at rotating and helping and, and, uh, he, you know, gets, gets steals and, and you see that, but just his positioning and his communication. But he anticipates a, a, a steal that aren't, isn't even his guy. Right, exactly. Which is, that's energy because you really got to move yeah. to, to and, do that. And then, you know, not only does it hurt you not having those guys, but it forces you to go deeper into your bench and you're just playing guys that aren't as good. And not that they're not playing hard and not that they're not great players. They're in the NBA, so I'm not saying they suck or anything, but they really go down, you know, just like any team would when you go that deep into your bench and you're playing guys like Malcolm Hill, who's a journeyman, Tyler Cook, who's a journeyman, uh, uh, Troy Brown Jr., who is a, a solid role player, but not a guy you want to be relying on. Matt Thomas, who is, you know, not a guy that you want to be relying on. And all of a sudden, those guys are getting meaningful minutes. And uh, it's uh, together, not just by themselves. Exactly in 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 fourth quarters of games, and that's you're not going to win. Well, against the Pistons really should be a like walk in the park. It was anything but a walk in the park last night. Right, it was not a walk in the park. You're right, and they had to go on a, a big run late in the fourth quarter to pull away and win that game at Detroit. So uh, yeah, so they're dying to get their guys back, but uh, if they can kind of tread water and and play more at the 500 level and then get Caruso and Ball and Williams back, I think they can... Is that big guy in the right. middle on the 76ers that good, or are the Bulls just have nobody to stop him? Both. He's, I think he's going to win the MVP this year. Uh, he's that good. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. Where'd he come from? Uh, Kansas. He was a one-and-done. But they've had him for, I don't know, five years, six years. He's, a, he's just a very good player. How, how good is that kid in the Grizzlies? Uh, he's really good, too. Yeah, he was yeah. the number two pick behind Zion Williamson, and... Uh, Zion's been nothing but injured, and it's going to be one of those deals where everyone's going to remember or you know see Morant and wonder how anyone could pass on him. As the kid's like a cross between Iverson and Jordan, for God's sake. He is. He's got a lot of kind of Derrick Rose in his game too. He's real. He's faster than Rose ever was. Well, Rose is really fast too. Yeah, but just fearless and goes to the bucket, and uh, yeah, he makes his teammates better. You just wonder, can you do that for a long career? Because we've seen those guys that just attack the rim as small guys get hurt after a yeah. while. Well, well, John, you're with us, bud. But what do you say? I'll give you the, the crummy job instead of going through basketball. What, what about the CPI numbers, bud? What, what are we well, making of this? Isn't it, a, isn't it a great day, Tom? We're rejoicing. It's not worse than it is. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, well, just I, I've got the... Uh, the, the 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 charts the stuff in front of me, and they've got uh, where are we where are we at we this is broken down all all items uh, um, f- uh, food and energy well food is up uh, 
where were we at? All items are up 7.9% according to this thing. All right. And we've got, uh, all, all items less food and energy were point five, which is what they, which they showed. So they've got energy up 25% year over year, which I think is kind of light actually. Well, and another, t- the bar graph on that page says, you know, 12 months, 30% rise in energy, which I think is also light given that, you know, that's, February. I mean, what, what's happened since February? Is well, no, you got to look, look and see what look, look and see what line you're on. Uh, energy total is 25, but if you get down to fuel, oil, and other fuels, it's 38. So yeah, it's a uh, but, but but energy also includes uh, um, you know stuff like uh, uh, electricity, utilities, right. piped, and that kind of stuff. Is and I don't think uh, um, you know, some of that stuff is is up that much. But boy, boy, gasoline sure is, and and. Uh, but the one that I think they're really they're really screwing not screwing us on, but I don't see how you keep these rent numbers this, this low. And I don't if you, if they ever decide they're going to adjust it one of these months, that's going to be a bad month. Or they're just going to leave it low forever. They're going to say it's three percent when it's thirteen. Well, and you know those rent figures do not really account at all for what housing means for most people who are trying to either sell a house and buy another one or get, buying their first house or whatever. Those numbers are kind of just completely off to the side. It doesn't register, you know, what people are seeing in, in home purchase prices at all. Um, I would agree, but yeah, the uh, I mean, you, you have to you have to dig. I'm not into the, the page that has everything in the total total detail, but it's uh, um, you know, you're you're you do get down into the detail. I'm trying to get where the hell am I at with my rent here? I'm into, I'm into alcoholic beverages. Oh, here we go, shelter. So it'll it'll say shelter. Four point seven percent is the lead number, but then it'll say rent of primary residence is up four point two percent. But now lodging away from home is up twenty five. Many are, are, are the are hotel rooms up twenty five percent a year? It must be. I, I that's a, that's something I'd like to dig into because um, that seems about right, given just how you know, convulsed the whole hotel industry and the hospitality industry has been the last two years. Actually. Lodging away from home, get a load of this, is broken down into two spots. One is housing at school, <laughs> the dorm, and the other one is other lodging away from home, including hotels and motels. Which, what do you think those numbers are, guys? Housing at school, year over year. 20%? Yeah, 1.6. Oh. <laughs> Evidently, the, the board charges haven't gone up much, according to this, anyway. A lodging away, hotels and motels up 29% in one year. That's unbelievable. Now it's got owner's equivalent rent of primary residence, which is their kind of looted way of saying of owning your own home, right? They've got that up four point three percent. Tell me how that's four point three percent when when it's rent of shelter. They've got a rent of primary residence up four point two percent, and and basically owning your own place is up four point three. Those numbers got to be twelve plus, right? And it's a and it's a big part of the basket. Your 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 owner your owners. This is kind of weird. They have uh, rent of primary residence is only seven percent of your basket. And yet owner's equivalent rent of your house is twenty four percent of the basket. Since when is rent that much cheaper than your mortgage? Yeah, really. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It can't be a third of a mortgage. When what what planet is this from? There's, there's built-in problems with these numbers, Tom. Yeah. Even the hotel numbers. I mean, it's 29% increase. I'd like to see how that is, you know, 
displayed against demand for you know hotel rooms or occupancy rates in certain parts of the country um, because I think you'd, you'd see you know some of the, the rate increases are due just to the fact that they couldn't you know let these rooms out at any rate during the lockdowns and what they could get, you know, when when things started to loosen up, they, they were able to get it. But it was artificially jacked up because there was practically no hotel business for a while. Well, you can easily, I, I've been, uh, everybody knows I uh, have a client or two there in the Major League Baseball, and if there was going to be a spring training, I was going to try and sneak a day and go down and meet meet these guys. And uh, uh, and if, if you, you don't have to try too hard to pay four or 500 a night for a decent place down there. It's a lot of dough. I mean, we're you know. I mean, it's especially if they're not gonna <laughs> gonna give you a maid service every day. But I, I mean, you know, I thirty percent's a lot. I mean, what is what is what does it cost to stay in New York now if you went there? Plus, I mean, was it was it Lou or someone else on your show was talking about how you know you don't get daily maid service yeah. now in a lot of these places? So you know, you're paying through the nose, but it isn't like it makes for a more comfortable or cleaner stay. <laughs> no, I mean it's. I don't, you know, but I, I mean, it, so these numbers, there's, there's, no, there's trouble in them, but c- clearly, if you just take this month and and if you take the year over year, they're talking seven point nine. If you just take this this month and multiply it by twelve, you're talking nine point six. So let's say you're in the nine percent range, just to be nice. I think we're actually higher than that, and you've got a uh, interest rates at point two five, and you've got. Nothing you get in the bank. I mean, I, is, is, are banks paying anything yet? I mean, I don't think so. I uh, somebody, my couple of credit unions, I think are probably paying a half a percent or something. But I mean, we're talking about if you have cash money, you're going to take a ten percent hit on your money this year. I mean, this didn't happen in the in the seventies. You, you went to the bank and you got twelve percent. You at least stayed even with cash, right? And this time, I'm this. this you can't tell me it's not intentional, Jen. I mean, I don't. I mean, somebody behind the curtain. I listened to their people in, in the last two administrations. It's hard to imagine they could ever plot anything, but uh, I somebody is. The banks, the banks seem to be able to plot. Let me get this straight. I'm, I'm going to pay no interest for 15 years to anybody, and oh, by the way, I get 25 percent of the credit card. Yes. Yeah. How can that system be? You know. From a, a moral, let alone a financial oh, I know. You know, standpoint. <laughs> well, I have a question for Mr. Weber since he has uh, he has other businesses and other he has another job. Every place I go now, Maddie, they, they want me to sign up for a credit card. How, how much money is in? You know, Myers having a credit card, or or uh, you know whatever, uh, Farm and Fleet having a credit card, or, 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 or you know whatever the uh, who are the guys I just got one from. Uh, uh, Bass Pro Shopper. But how much money is? Is there just a lot of dough in that? They're all and it's somebody else, right? They're all Capital One or somebody. Well, yeah, they're all they all have the issuer or whatever. But um, but yeah, there's a ton of money. In it. I mean, you know the percentages on those. Actually, things. I don't. Well, well, refresh me. Aren't they? I mean, no. I'm who gets who? They get a piece. They get a piece of the interest. I I, I assume so. Okay. So, but and if and you're talking, you know, twenty percent interest, maybe more on those cards. Um, so Visa's happy, and then the the store's happy, and then they they tie loyalty to it. So then right. you're going to potentially buy more from them um, as opposed to going somewhere else. So it's it's uh, a win for all of them. Do the tra- transaction fees also make it more attractive? Are they 
because they're it's just if you are buying people are buying at a particular vendor um is it the same as if you were going into a Walgreens and using your visa card or I wonder if you know that's a good question I think so yeah and I it's it's something that I used to know a lot about and it it changes so often and so frequently that it's hard to keep up with uh who's whose back's getting scratched but but yeah they there's a reason why chief's right you almost can't shop anywhere now without getting asked you know hey do you want to save 10% today by signing up for a credit card and uh, you're like well uh, thank you for I'm buying $10 worth of stuff thank you for saving me a dollar I'm not yeah. I'm not signing up for a credit card <laughs> well so so say the one I just the one I just I got I went into uh, the past pro shop and uh you know I, I whatever the guy asked me about the credit card and he shows me these I got this really nice uh, coffee mug and something else, and then some stupid hat that I happen to be wearing right now. Uh, and I say, eh, I, don't, I don't really need another one. So I get in the line. Of course, the the girl, the checkout lady, is adorable, and she goes, "Well, you know, if you get that credit card, you get another like twenty percent off on the stuff you bought today." I don't know. Let's just say it was easy to say no to the guy, not so easy to say no to the girl. Just leave it at that. She saw Mark and she took it down. Yeah, she got she, I mean, <laughs> let, let, Let's just say I said no to the guy and I didn't say no to the girl. I, I, I don't know. Whatever that means, I, just anybody could speculate. But um, so then, of course, Audrey snagged the, uh, the, 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 the uh, what do you call it, the real nice flashlight and that I got. And Sarah snagged the coffee mug, so I ended up with a stupid hat but and a credit card. Um but I mean, so you get two or three percent back on gas on the thing. If you buy something in the uh, in the Bass Pro Shop, like, like you actually bought a bass boat, the, the, the interest rate goes down to like seven percent. If you buy the boat there, well, not that I'm in the market for yeah. a bass boat, but on who, who pays the, the the rebate from the gas companies? Does the gas guy pay that? He must. I'm not sure. So you got you got that rebate. I would assume going. so. Yeah. Well, it turns out I didn't even know until I got the bill. They're, they're Capital One. So you use all, all their processing. So I, I wonder who, who gets what. I mean, I'm just, I'm kind of fascinated by it, but it, it obviously is enough to have two people that you're employed, you know, talking to people and, and, and the stuff they gave out. I'm going to say it was worth 30 bucks, 25. Yeah, Easy. Kevin writes in and he articulates it better than than we did but there are interchange fees for every credit card transaction which we know that the card issuer gets paid and the merchant pays for each transaction so that's kind of what you're saying if a store has a branded card it will save when it's used at its place and will get paid when it's used elsewhere okay so you right so you don't you don't pay so capital one does not take a spiff if it's done at the bass pro shop is what's kevin saying that's probably or if you use your sears mastercard at at electronics or something yeah. Okay. So it's, but I mean, it is it is a huge industry. So what what is it? How can man? I'm here. It's the biggest you. industry. Okay. Well, how, well, it's how, not only a huge industry. It's where all of the money is. So how how does how does Visa? I, these are my customers: the Fiserv's and the FISs and the uh, global payments. They've bought up every single processing unit. Uh, they're bigger than Wells Fargo. They're bigger than, than, than everybody. Um, really? Yeah. I mean, all of the basketball arena sponsorships you're seeing now are, are Fiserv and FIS and all these payments companies because they get a piece of every transaction. Well, now how, how, how exactly are they going to shut off Russia? Is that even possible? How are they going to shut off Well, they're Russia? saying a Visa and MasterCard and everybody's going to shut off all transactions in Russia. Can they... Is that is that even possible? I suppose they can. Does Russia have their own credit I, card company? Maybe I, they don't. I, I just asked you. I mean, I don't know. I, 
I know that JCB is big in Europe. I don't know if they're in Russia or not. Um, but yeah, there's there's essentially five big card brands. I mean, we know them: Visa, Mastercard, American Express, Discover, and JCB, which is the European one. Uh, they pretty much run the world. So maybe there isn't a big one in Russia. So they, you can you can shut down an area if you want. Well, that would really mess people up, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. What else? And, and not just people in Russia too. Yeah. Really. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know how you. I mean, how, how do you how do you how do you cut the cord? I mean, are you are you not going to send them the checks for the money you don't you owe? I mean, I don't. I, don't, I, mean, I haven't heard that. Have you been watching any of this stuff? I, I see endless litigation about this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean I, that's that's a boon to a lot of people too. You know? I mean, so you're going to. I mean, I, I'm not saying that the that the Russians are are, are goodniks here. There are definitely no goodniks in my opinion. But I mean, uh, I mean we're, we're going to we're going to take the royal, but we're not going to pay them for it. I mean, I, I mean, I, there's got to be international something something on this that I don't know anything about, but. I think it's saber rattling time. I think they'll try saying these things and, and looking to see what you know how much you know of an earthquake follows, if any. But it, it, as far as actually happening, I just don't see that. As a, like, I mean, the, the internet is supposed to shut down in Russia tomorrow. I just don't see that happening. I mean, maybe it will. I'm not saying it can't happen, or um, somebody might might desperately want it to happen. But I just I think a lot of this is just testing the waters to see how much. Of a, of a blowback they can get, or if it, if it can be used somehow in some other strategizing to put them on guard that we're not messing around. But I, I, I tend to think a lot of it is just pretty hollow. Well, Manny brings up a big point, though, the ones that you and I have talked about before, but he just said it better. Uh, we, we think these governments are in control, Manny. They're really not, are they? No, of course not. But I don't think we really think they are. We don't, but yeah. I think a lot of people do. But yeah, I mean, there's a reason why everyone's trying to get into the payments realm. Apple's trying to get in there and, and has with Apple Pay and Google done, has done the same. And everyone wants a piece of this recurring revenue where you get a piece of every transaction. So they're all getting their hands in there. How did PayPal f- fall so far behind? PayPal is not behind. Okay, they're not. Um, no, they're they're still right there, uh, and they're they're just as big as anyone. Now, what, what's their shtick? Is they'll, they'll they'll take money from people in addition to pay through them? Yeah, so they offer a secure sort of gateway. So if you, if you, a lot of people don't trust giving their credit card number online, which it makes a lot of sense. So you can tie your bank account and or credit card, debit card or whatever to a PayPal account. Um, and so then when you go on these websites and you do your shopping, you can, uh, you can buy via PayPal and you, and, and trust that it's, you know, you're so not I can, I can hacked. use PayPal and it'll just go right to my credit card, but. The, the people won't know the credit card number. Right, exactly. But your credit card number never actually touches any sort of you know e-commerce shopping cart online. Well, then why wouldn't I just why wouldn't I do that? A lot of people do do that. Um, interesting. Again, I'm a luddite at this. Anyway, uh, um, we're down fifty points now. So we, the the original the number could have been worse. Now people are looking at it and they're not happy with it. So up down up down. Jan, this is crazy stuff, isn't it? I mean. Uh, I, we, we, we adjust, we're adjusting once, once or twice a day now on our protective puts. We used to do that once every, once or twice every three or four months. I mean, this is, this is crazy. It's going to happen again today here. We're down. These enormous swings, Tom. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I can't really tie it too tightly to exactly what's going on that triggers this stuff sometimes, although it, I'm sure it can be, but it's too hard to keep up with it. Oh, it's unbelievable. John, thank you very much. Manny, great to have you back. SP Futures down 52, Nasdaq Futures down 209. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. 
go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. HomeSource Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.